Y'all turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're picking back up in 1 Timothy. We finished up 1 Timothy chapter 1 back in June. And um, when I get the opportunity to preach, we'll, if the Lord wills that, we'll stay here in, in the uh, pastoral epistles. <clears throat> Before we take a look at chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 or 4 today, I want us to pray together, if you would, with me. Um, and uh, pray that we would be attentive and that um, God would speak clearly. Father, before we engage your word, we want to pray for another church in town. Um, and we want to lift up Ridgecrest Baptist Church to you. Um, we are grateful and thankful for the heritage that many of us have there and for the handful of families that came here to start this church eight or nine years ago. And we are grateful. We're thankful for what you've done through that church and what you continue to do. We pray specifically for their need for a pastor right now, that you would govern that selection and that movement, and that they would get a, a shepherd and pastor that would preach the gospel again and again and feed them and feed the sheep at Ridgecrest. And God, we also pray this morning for all the leaders of our communities, so many different communities that surround us that are represented here this morning in Cross Point. And we pray for the leaders, for the people who make decisions that influence the environment and influence the civil environment. We pray for them, for their needs, for their hearts to be open to the truth, that they would come to the knowledge of truth. And God, we pray that their decisions would keep the pathway open for the gospel to keep going forward. And we lift them up to you. And we pray for this time that we would be attentive and that you would speak clearly. You would remind us again of our need for the gospel and for your designs. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Just a little bit of context here from 1 Timothy chapter 1. When we left off back in June... Um, Chapter 1 is very focused. Paul is very focused with Timothy and with us that we are to pay attention to what's going on here. Pay attention within the church. There's a very specific, fairly narrow focus to chapter 1. Pay attention to the teaching. You do not let people preach if they do not have the sound doctrine, the steel rod in the middle of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save sinners that He alone is sufficient. When anybody wanders from that and they start showing you their fancy charts about the history of God's people and they connect dots and they're making things look very impressive, but they're missing Jesus Christ came to save sinners and that His righteousness alone is where we're saved. That's how you love people is with the gospel, Paul says. And so it's very focused on the church. It's a very internal focus here. You get rid of people who are teaching falsely. We, we've gotten rid of Hymenaeus and Alexander that we see in the end of chapter 1. We know that Christ's mission is to save sinners. We know His mission here is to do that. And we're to fight among ourselves, especially those who preach and teach, for a good conscience that our lives line up with what we say, 
and we fight for sound doctrine. We pay attention to what's going on here in the church. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 2, Paul kind of blows that up, not, not to its detriment, but he opens it up, maybe that's a better way of saying, to this grand scope, and our attention is focused outward. There was this internal focus and movement in chapter 1, and now there's this external focus of all men. All men. Our eyes are turned towards all peoples. And so let's read together the first three or four verses of First Timothy chapter 2. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we've moved from this pay attention to what you're teaching, pay attention to what you're doing within the church to all people. When he says all people there in verse 1, thanksgivings be made for all people, he is talking about all types of people in the church, outside of the church, no matter what color, no matter what nation, no matter poor, rich, all types of people, everybody. The target for God is everybody. The target for Christ's mission to save sinners, the target is all peoples and kings and all who are in high positions. And so we're given this urgency to pray. Pray for everybody. And there's this new scope. There's this new, bigger scope where we take the focus off ourselves for just a second and we remember what God's mission is. And there's going to be a balance here that hopefully we will have and that we will see. When we start talking about prayer, let me tell you where we're going this morning. We're going to look at this praying, the urgency, and then the necessity to pray first. And then we're going to look at the scope of this. What does he mean by all men? And what does he mean by kings and those in authority? Well, how does that play out? And then we're going to look at the church with cabin fever. So first, we're going to look at praying first, that being our first move. Then secondly, we're going to look at the scope of this prayer for all peoples, kings and those in authority. And then we're going to look at maybe a hypothetical church that has cabin fever or that can get cabin fever. Prayer is to be our first move. The temptation for us, when we start thinking about those people that we live around, that we engage in our communities, whether they're here or not, whether they believe or not, anybody, and our movement towards them, we immediately, the temptation for us, is to think, what are we supposed to do? For many of us, we start to think, okay, if they're not here, let's come up with a creative plan. I got a, I got a really good idea of how we can move towards people who aren't here, how we can get the gospel to them. Let's, let's sit around and brainstorm this. Let's think really hard because we got some really creative people. Let's think about what we can do and how we can do it. And many times we move directly to, let's think about the who, the what, and the how 
to get the gospel to people, to all men, without first praying. If we sit around and brainstorm this thing, and we come up with great ideas and great plans in order to how to move to people, if we start planning events, if we start thinking about what we would say, how we would say it, the timing, and we're concerning ourselves with all of the periphery of what goes on when the gospel's moving, and we don't pray, what we're doing is we're handicapping our movement. And we're saying, we got this. If we can just sit around and get the right idea, a lot of creative people here, let's figure this out. And let's move rightly. Nothing wrong with doing that. There is something really wrong with doing that without first bringing God into it. When some people say to me, hey, um, and this may just happen to me, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you this week. I've really been praying for you. Two things happen. The first thing is I'm, I feel pretty good that they're thinking about me. Like, That's pretty nice. Thanks for, thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate that. It makes me feel good. And then I'm like, wait, what's wrong? What, <laughs> what's about to happen? What, what have I done? Or what am I not seeing? What am... And so my thought is, okay, I had a pretty good handle on the week. The week's going pretty good. You come up to me and tell me you've really been praying for me. And I'm thinking, I have a good handle on the week. Why are you bringing God into this? And what Paul is saying to Timothy here is pray. Push out your concerns. Pray for all people. And what you're doing when you do that is you're bringing God first into the movement. We're making an appeal to the king, to the king, on behalf of all people before we move. And that prayer frames our movement. And we don't move without him. This prayer is an investment. Without investing, when we move towards all peoples without investing, when you see the neighbor at Walmart in the driveway, you have that burden for them. There's the friendly wave, and then there's another friendly wave when you come back, and another, and another. And we tend to feel weird about there only being a wave. How do I turn this conversation to spiritual things? How do I turn this conversation to Jesus? How do I turn this conversation to church? And the conversation never gets there to eternal matters. I wonder if our movement leaves us there because we haven't invested first in prayer. When I, anytime I've taken on any type of new exercise program or any new diet, if I have invested financially in something, I get out of bed and move a little better if it costs me something. If I put 100 bucks up for the shoes, I tend to want to put them on and use them. If I bought the Nutrisystem meals and I paid out the nose for those things and the convenience, it tends to help me want to move because I'm invested. But this is more than a financial investment. This is us using and investing in the privilege and the advantage that we have as God's people of bringing God into our movement, of going to Him on behalf of all peoples, Prayer is the investment that will draw us into engagement. And I wonder if we're more invested in prayer before we move, we will move differently. When I see them in the driveway, when I'm in conversation, I'm not as concerned necessarily about what I say or how I say or if I'm doing it right or if this is the time. 
I know I've invested the time in praying and being burdened for these people and my neighbors and these businesses and these men who lead our cities and our communities. And so when there's interaction, I know God's already gone way ahead of me. I know I've gone to him on behalf of these people. I know he's governing this. I know he's overseeing this. He's ahead of me. And so I'm more willing to move and speak if I know God's already on the, on the page. He's already on the scene. I've already brought him in. I've already made him aware. And that investment, I think, changes our movement and how we move towards people and how we speak clearly. We're engaging the king. We're employing and retaining the ear of the king. And that's what this word is in verse 1 when he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. The word in prayers there is this idea that you have an advantage. You have a right. You have a right to go to God on behalf of all people. You are employing and retaining your advantage as His people to call on the God of all things, on the Creator, on their behalf. What a special privilege and a special right that we have. And that's what this word prayer means. Go to Him. Go to Him on behalf of all people. And then the supplications, intercessions, and thanksgivings are types of that. And we'll look at that in a minute. We have a gift as His people of going directly to Him on the behalf of others. And this is what that looks like. We've been given the model of how to pray. This is what that looks like in our lives. When we do that, when we go first to Him and pray, it looks like this. Father, hallowed be Your name. Let Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it looks like. When we go to Him first, we say, Your name is above all names. You are where this thing starts and where this thing ends. And we're calling on You that your kingdom come here on earth as we move towards all people. That's what that looks like. That's the model that we have. And if we've invested the time in retaining the ear of the king, we're confident that he's hearing, overseeing, and he's sufficient to move on behalf of others. We can move without prayer. We, we can probably even accomplish some things without praying first. We can take the knowledge and the gospel that we have. We can take our handling of the Word, the teaching that we've received, and we can move out without prayer. And we can probably accomplish some things. People can be enlightened. They can hear the gospel. We can, we can do this without prayer. We can move to a certain extent without prayer. But it's like before there were satellites, the only way to broadcast something live, it would only go across country. And that was a big deal to broadcast something live across America. And, but the confines of that influence of that live broadcast is in America. When you bring in the advantage, if you retain and employ the power of satellites, you can broadcast globally. You can impact the whole world. And that's what we're doing when we, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are made for all people. We are employing and retaining the power of our God and using our privilege and taking advantage of what He's given us as His people, and that's a right to come to Him on behalf of all people. And it's like the difference between using just a broadcast signal and a satellite when we move without prayer, when we employ prayer first. 
there's a, uh, there's a ditch on both sides of moving towards lost people or people that aren't here or people who we are burdened for that we don't sense are living the gospel or believing it or resting in Jesus. There's a ditch that I think that we can hit on both sides of that when we don't move in prayer. The first ditch is when I move towards people, when I'm burdened for someone, whether that's a neighbor or a friend or an old college friend, whatever, maybe it's a family member, unbelieving, and when we move towards them without prayer <clears throat> and it goes really well and the conversation goes well, there seems to be a fruitful response in their heart to what we're saying. We feel really good about our attempts. We couched what Ben told us to say really well. I mean, we got it. Or what our small group shepherd told us to say. We, we really practiced it, and we worked at it, and we engaged this person, and it went pretty good, and it seemed to be fruitful. And we speak pretty clearly about the gospel, and yet when we haven't prayed first, when we haven't brought and employed our king, and we haven't first gone to him in prayer, here's the ditch that that can go to. That went pretty well. I, I did pretty good there, which is pride. And we immediately begin to think, I can do this again, and I can do this again. I am pretty good. If you need anyone to engage somebody in your neighborhood, you can call me, and I'll come running because it worked. And the other ditch is, it doesn't go well. It goes poorly. There's no response. Or even there's a negative response. And they start spewing their baggage on you about religion and the church. And it doesn't go well. You, we immediately begin to think, having not prayed, I can't, I can't do this. I am, I am horrible at this. Uh, I'm a failure. My attempts are not fruitful. And we begin to feel guilty. I'm not going to do this anymore. I just feel dumb. I feel like I can't engage people rightly. And so we end up landing in the ditch of guilt and discouragement. But when we pray first, when we pray, when we employ and retain our king's ear, and then we move towards all men, we know that if it goes well, we say, we prayed and brought him in. Thanks be to God that he moved. And when it doesn't go well, we know he heard my prayer. He's not caught off guard by this. This isn't me. It's him. And I'm not going to give up because I retained and employed the power of the king. He knows what's going on. And I prayed first. And that keeps us out of both of those ditches and helps us move more freely with the gospel towards all men. These three types of investment in prayer, I want to explain them. This supplication, this intercession, and this thanksgiving. First of all, <clears throat> the supplication is praying for the specific needs of other men. Whether it's knowledge of a difficult marriage, praying for their kids, praying for their finances, praying for their health. Intercession is an appeal to God to resolve those things. Supplication is putting those needs before God, recognizing these people have needs, whether they have our interests at heart or not. Intercession is begging God to solve that, to resolve that for them. Intercession is an appeal to God on their behalf. And thanksgiving is a gratitude in God's direction on our part that we are even here. It's a gratitude that we even have the right to go to the king and have his ear. 
And so there's this thankful heart, this prayer of thanksgiving that we even have the king's ear because of Jesus. That he has made a way for us to approach him. And that's the thanksgiving. The second thing I want us to look at is the scope of this praying for all men. The scope of our prayer is all peoples for kings and all who are in high positions. So the scope, all men, even kings and those in authority. We make these supplications and intercessions and thanksgivings on behalf of men, listen, who may or may not have our interest at Crosspoint at heart. And we're called in this passage to lift them up to the king, whether they have our interest at heart or not. You may be saying, well, that's probably a good thing to do, but why really? Why? Why should we be so interested? Why should we be so interested in praying for people who are maybe even hostile towards what God is doing here? Why should we pray for men who don't have our interest at heart? Turn to Luke 6.32. We pray for these men, not just because we're commanded to here, but this falls right in line with the otherworldly mercy and movement of His kingdom. This falls right in line with the otherworldly mercy and movement of His kingdom. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Let me read that again. He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And that doesn't make sense unless we remember that we are ungrateful and evil, aside from Jesus. And then He says, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. This makes sense. This makes sense for us to pray for all men. Because Were it not for Jesus, we would be outside this faith. We would be outside this gift. We would be outside this salvation. Were it not for His mercy. And so we pray, even for those who don't have our interest at heart. He says here, back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. There's a, a that here. We pray for other men. We pray for kings in authority. We pray for other men. Because it just lines up with His kingdom. But we pray so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Surely, this kind of praying first before we move, this praying for other men, this turning our focus off what's immediately around us in the church and remembering that God's mission is all men. His target is all men. That He is 
The steel rod of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And in that mission, when we remember that and we pray together for that, yes, it will produce a quiet and a peacefulness in us and among us. What Paul is specifically talking about here is that in a broader sense, this keeps the gospel from, gospel from being impeded. We're instructed clearly here to pray for kings and authorities so that there is a civil quiet and peace around us, so that our communities are peaceful and quiet, so that the gospel can move out, so that there is nothing impeding the gospel because of laws or decisions that the men who lead our communities make. And that's the specific prayer here, and we're to be praying for that. That is our call here and our command. Pray for these men who lead so that the gospel will continue to go forth. Godly and dignified in every way. This is where it focuses on us, primarily. Because this is our testimony. When you pray like this for all men, you're praying that the environment, the civil environment is quiet and peaceful. The gospel goes forth, and this is what happens in you. You become this godly, dignified people. Godly meaning a devoted people. We are seen as this loyal people. We are loyal to Him. We are loyal to Jesus. We are loyal to our God. We are faithful and committed, and we are devoted. And that is what happens when we pray for all men, is that that, that's producing a godliness in us. And it's producing a dignified way. Dignified, defined, a serious composure that we have that commands a respect from people. And so as we're praying... For all peoples, as we're praying for those who lead, as we're praying for those who make decisions about the civil environment, we become godly and we become dignified. We have a composure and a seriousness about this gospel. And at the same time, we gain respect because of our devotion and because of our composure. And people say, it's godly and dignified. So we have to ask our quest- ourselves this. Um, are we concerned about the environment being quiet and peaceful for this gospel to go out? Are we concerned about our movement being godly and our movement being dignified? Are we concerned about that? Or, listen folks, are we only concerned about being right? In the conversations at the cubicle, in the conversations in your neighborhood, in the conversations at Walmart, in the conversations with your family, are we only concerned about being right and only concerned about truth? Or is this love that pervades our movement for all men, is there a godly, dignified movement to proclaiming truth? Prayer moves our urgency for truth into the context of love and dignity. I want to say that one more time. Praying like this moves our urgency for truth into a context of love and dignity. Just listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13, 1-6. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But listen, here's the key. 
Love rejoices with truth. Love rejoices with truth. We don't move in proclaiming truth without love. Love rejoices in truth. They go together. Love rejoices in truth. And how do we get there? We pray. We pray for all people, even if they don't have our interest. We pray for all men. God is pleased, it says in this passage. He, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God. He is pleased. He is pleased when there's a quiet, peaceful dignity about us. He's pleased when there's a quiet, peaceful environment around us for the gospel to go forward. He is pleased. He is pleased when we push out the bounds of our concern and we look around and we're paying attention and praying. And He is pleased when we make an appeal to Him on behalf of all men. And He's pleased that we start by employing and retaining His ear. That is pleasing to Him. This kings and those in authority, any civil relationship of authority or influence. Paul is likely thinking of Nero, this maniac ruler, who, by the way, is using Christians burned at the stake to light up his courtyard. He says, pray for kings and all those in authority. And Nero is using Christians to light his courtyard. And so he's begging God to work through men of influence and authority so that the gospel goes forward and there's peace and quiet for believers. That our civil environment will be peaceful and quiet so the gospel doesn't get impeded. And I wonder... Are we passive in this because we live in America? Do we just not pray this way because we're in Texas? Because we have rights and freedom and that no one, last time I checked, is getting used as a torch? Does that make us passive in this prayer? And I think we have to go back and remember that prayer of thanksgiving. Are we thankful? Are we recognizing that the only reason we're not being used as torches today is His grace? The only reason is because somewhere, somewhere, somewhere along the way, somebody prayed for this protection for us. It's God's gift that we have this free movement of the gospel. And that's not American-centric. That's God-centric. Hear me. Where's the prayer of thanksgiving for the fact that no one's being used as a torch this week around here? And that is not a passive prayer. That's an active prayer. Do we say, well, we don't have to worry about that at cross point because of where we're at. Think about this. we got families and people that move out all over the world from this location, from this church. And it does affect cross point because some of these things affect them because they don't live in America. It's 19 verse 21. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Okay? Got that? Now turn to chapter 21, just a page over, page or two over. Chapter 21, verse 1. 
king's heart is a stream in the wa- stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Isn't that good? The king's heart is a stream of water in God's hand. And he'll just, he'll just move it however he wills. That there be quiet and peaceful, godly and dignified. It's pleasing to our God. His target is all men. He is sufficient for all men. His target and his mission for this gospel to go out to all men so that they'll be saved and come to a knowledge of the gospel. Look at that real quickly. Verse 2, for kings and all in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. I'm not going to unpack that. And for some of you, you may be thinking, well, how does that work with his electing? Scott preached a three-part series in July, and I beg you to go listen if you haven't where he unpacked this and explained it very well. You need that equipment. You need it. So we're not going there right now, but we, we, we can go here. It pleases God when our concern is pushed out to all men and that we are thinking not only about his design here and moving here and are we set up right? Are we getting it right? We have to do that. But we don't do that without praying on behalf of all men. If we don't have chapter 2 in 1 Timothy, then it's primarily a book about God's design. You've got to do this. You get this right. This is how you lead. This is how you serve. These are the qualifications for those who lead. You get the gospel right. The steel rod is Jesus. He's coming to save sinners. And then without chapter 2 on this ordering your prayer and shifting your focus or making sure you balance your focus without it, we can, the temptation for us, I think, is to become these kind of God's pseudo superheroes for Hunt County. We got elders. We got deacons. Got good preachers and good teachers. Men are leading. God's design. But if that's where you put a period and that's it, then we don't have the balance of pushing out this concern and remembering that his mission is to use that design to save sinners. His mission in that design, in biblical eldership, in biblical deacons, in men leading, is that through that design, he will save people. Through that design, he will save men. All men. That's his target. Winter's coming, and um, I love spring and summer. I don't like winter, but winter is coming, and for those of you that have kids, you know about cabin fever. Um, the, the, the days are getting shorter. They're, they're gonna, it's going to be cloudy and rainy and cold, and so we're stuck in the house together for a long time, <laughs> really long time. And so we get this focus where our focus is on each other a lot in the winter. It's a good thing. It's not, not a bad thing to be focused on family and be together for a long time. It's not a bad thing. But then spring comes, and then the days are longer. The weather's nice. Their friends are outside, and I'm like, go, children. Be with other people. Let other people enjoy you. 
And I think that there's such great balance in this epistle here to where Paul starts off with. You better make sure you watch what you teach. You don't let anybody get up and say anything that's not centered on Jesus coming to save sinners. His righteousness alone. You pay attention. You fight the good fight for a conscience. You fight for what you teach. You watch each other. You watch the purity of the bride. And you pray for all men. In that design, in, within that design, you pray for all men. And that way we don't become a church with cabin fever where we're watching each other all the time as a small group. If all you do is, are we doing this right? Are we doing that right? Am I saying this right? Am I, where are you? Where are you? I don't know. What, I didn't like what you said. I don't and then we become like we do at our house in the wintertime when we just pick at each other. That's not God's design. We have to remember, with all of God's designs that He has given us to obey, it's also God's design that we pray outwardly for all men. This church was planted here eight or nine years ago not to just be champions of God's design in this community. But this church was planted here to engage God's mission of making the gospel available to all men. Our first move in that is to pray for all men. Pray for kings and those in authority. That's God's design. And we can be diligent and we can be faithful to move within God's design for leadership and service and then miss His mission because we're not praying for anybody outside of here. Another thing this does is it keeps us from being reactive and feeling like we must act anytime we see the gospel impeded or anytime we see people not understanding or we have a burden for somebody. We don't just act and react to the things that come our way. When somebody disagrees with what we say at the office or they have a question for us, we don't just react. If we're already praying, it keeps us from being reactivists. I think I just made that word up. It's, we're not activists. We don't move to, to defend Him if we're already praying and intentional about these conversations. We don't react and become reactivists to act out, protest when we're praying first. When we've got the king's ear. We brought Him. We, we brought Him into it. We become aware of supernatural implications to the ordinary events of life. Let me say that again. We become aware of the supernatural implications to the ordinary events in life. But when we're not praying like that, when we're not praying, God, we're coming to you on behalf of all men. We're coming to you on behalf of the kings and authorities and the people who make decisions for this peaceful environment to take place so the gospel can go forward. We're not doing that. We're kind of unaware that God's even paying attention. Why'd you got to bring God into this? So this consistent prayer. Some people think, some scholars would say, uh, Paul's saying that you ought to do this. This ought to be a part of your liturgy. You ought to do this uh, every week. You ought to pray. I, I don't think so, so much. I just think it's an urgency to remember to pray for all people consistently when he says pray without ceasing it doesn't mean lock yourself in a prayer closet similar to here what he's saying is continually keep the hearts of other men the kings and the authorities in front of you and pray be aware that i'm moving be aware that i'm on my mission to save sinners 
And you engage that first by praying. And you'll be aware of what I'm doing. He goes ahead of us. And he turns the hearts of kings. So the gospel goes out. In an environment of quiet and peace. Because we pray. What a privilege. What an advantage we have. What a great God we have. Y'all pray with me. Father, we pray a prayer of thanksgiving right now for the environment in which we worship. We are thankful for the fact that no one around here is being torched physically for this faith and that you have allowed us to live in a place that's the gospel moving freely. And yet our burden at the same time is for to bring the needs of the people and intercede on behalf of those who are living, Cross Point families living right now where that's not the case. Keep this in front of us, God. Keep us balanced in our prayers. Keep us focused. Guard us from cabin fever with each other. Remind us of our mission together with you that you've engaged us in. And we're so thankful that this mission that we're on that the work is already done, finished in Jesus, complete and done. We're so grateful that he's seated. And Father, as we move to this time of communion, it's my prayer that you would not just give us thankful hearts, but give us hearts that are burdened for those that aren't at this table of communion. that out of gratitude we would invest in praying and that by your Spirit you'd give us the wisdom to move out in the direction of those that aren't here, who don't enjoy Jesus, who don't enjoy this invitation to this table. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.